0: Welcome to the Epic Agent Success Podcast with your hosts, Jerry Weaver and Jacoby Kendrick. This podcast is dedicated to newer agents in the business who want the fast track to success. 90% of agents fail in their first year of business. Our goal is to help guide your journey away from the common mistakes most agents make and help you grow and build your business to epic levels you know you're capable of and desire.
1: Hey, my name is Jerry. Welcome to the Epic Agent Podcast. I'm here with my good friend and co host, Jacoby Kendrick, straight out of Midland, Texas. And today we are talking about the emotional side of real estate. And if you've been in real estate for more than five minutes, you know there's an emotional side to it. And that topic is huge. You could talk about a million things. The thing that we want to focus in on is that emotional side. Of getting a deal closed, and when we started this conversation, I was talking to Jacoby about it, and he's like, "Oh man, I've got a couple really good stories." But when I talk about or we talk about the emotional side of real estate, Jacoby, what are you thinking? What is it that's going around in your head?
2: Yeah. So everything when you talk about real estate, it's all about emotions, and that's why uh, that's why they call you a real estate agent. That's why you're a fiduciary for your for your client is because you got to look out for their best interest because most of the time you know you 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 see something that you want it's like man you've got your hopes and your dreams and what you're going to be doing in the future all wrapped up in this in this purchase and then you know a real estate transaction for one it's a lo- usually a long process at least 30 days and then after that, during that 30 days, you've got a lot of other hurdles that you've got to get over as well. And so there's a lot of negotiations going on. And whenever you have negotiations, you have people that have interest, and sometimes those interests don't align. And when your interests don't align and you got something that you really, really want, and it has to do with your future, that's going to cause some emotions to fly. And so that's really what I think about when I get there is like helping your client get to the finish line and then working with other agents to actually get the deal done. Because a lot of times agents' emotions get involved too. I'll look across on the other side and I'm like, hey, man, we're supposed to be getting this deal done. But it sounds like you don't want to get this deal done. What is going on? So really, whenever I think of uh, the emotional side of real estate, that's that's what I'm thinking about.
1: Yeah. And it's so funny because when you first sit down and you talk with a client, you meet with a seller, you're talking to a buyer... Everything that comes out is all the logic behind it, right? How many bedrooms and bathrooms and school districts and like you know, we want this and we need that and we don't want this. And then once you really start going down the road or once you like walk into the house as a buyer and when you're in the house five feet and the wife of the couple says, oh, this is our house and we've only been there for like eight seconds, Like that's when the logic is thrown out the window and all the emotion comes in. And what is that Mike Tyson says? Everybody's got a plan until they get punched
2: in the face, right? Yeah, everybody's got a plan till they, yeah, exactly, till they get punched in the face. And that is exactly right. Like we we justify things with numbers and then we make decisions with emotions, right? And so most buyers, if we're talking about buyer and sellers, most buyers and sellers are emotional uh, about what they're doing. I got we have a lot of engineers here. So there's a lot of engineers here in our area, like petroleum engineers. So sometimes those guys are making decisions off of, you know, numbers, but every time it comes down to it, they, you know, the emotions are kind of what drives things over the edge. And so well, what's what's funny about
1: engineers? Our engineers are engineers, but they didn't marry an engineer.
2: Yeah, that's that's exactly <laughs> right. I was gonna I was yeah. gonna say that too, is that there's there's always two two sides to every coin, yeah. right? For sure. Perfect. We
1: had, I remember I had a client and we were looking at the house and he showed up. I mean, he had like a notebook and a spreadsheet. And I'll bet you he had 40 points that for every house we looked at, he took notes on all those 40 points. And then he had, he would, he had a, I mean, like it was like a, you know, 18, 24 inch long spreadsheet and he had it all laid out and all this logic. And he, so then, out of the 40 points, he had a rating system and it gave it a score. And so every house that we looked at had a score and we looked at 12, 14 houses. We ended up going with number eight on the list because that's the one the wife wanted. (laughs) She, She liked the backyard and where it was located to the school. And that wasn't on his spreadsheet. Right. And so we ended up with number eight, but it was obvious. It was the most elaborate thing I'd ever seen in my life. And we were at each showing for a, probably about an hour and this goes every show and even if like we knew we didn't like the house i wasn't real good at managing clients then it was like i was uh i was pretty new to it and i'm like okay this is just what we do like i didn't help walk him through that so he had this big elaborate system and uh you know how when you set up showings for a client when the first time you go out to show them you don't exactly know how much time to leave at each house and so we were way behind on that first day but then the second set of houses i took him okay we're going to need some time. And so I was able to stay on track with our schedule for the appointments. That's
2: probably my craziest, most technical guy that I've ever had. Number eight on his list and number one on somebody else's list. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, how do you uh, figure out how much time to put in between your showings?
1: You know, the first time as a guest, you know, because you don't know the client, but I also have a process that I follow with clients and I'm really good at keeping them on track. And part of that is they get they know what our schedule is. And so they know when we have to be to the next house. But then if I see if we're at a house that I think they're really interested in, and you know, like when you're walking through a house, you know, the ones that they're more interested in, I slow it down for them. And I give them room to be able to break the schedule that we're on. I want to make sure that they get the full emotional attachment to the house that they seem to be liking. And so I don't want to rush them out of that one. And so that's how I do it in our showing time. Is we have what? Well, you do you guys have showing time? Like the yeah, we use okay. showing time. Okay. And so you put I put them in the cart, organize them in on my map, and then you know, let's say I want to start the first one at one. I go one to two, one fifteen to two fifteen, and so one. I give us time to get to the next house, depending on location, and then two. I give us enough window to stay. Within that. And so we got plenty of time to get to the next one. And that's if they're close together. Like you, houses that you look at are never more than what, five, six, seven minutes apart. You know, sometimes I'll have 20, 25 minutes in between
2: houses. I wouldn't even know what a drive between houses is. When Jacoby drives 20
1: minutes, it means he's going on vacation.
2: Yeah. We, yeah, <laughs> we could probably ride bikes in between the showings I have. <laughs> yeah. So, that,
1: that doesn't uh, happen here very often.
2: Uh, yeah. I wouldn't know what to do if I went to another market. That'd be wild.
1: Yeah. So for those who don't know, I'm in Metro Detroit. I'm halfway between Detroit and Ann Arbor in a town called Canton. And so uh, we've got, I don't know, within 30 mile radius, we've got 4 million people here. And then Jacoby's in Midland, Texas, and Google Earth, Midland, Texas. And uh, you have Midland, and then you have Odessa. And so that's about, what, 300,000 people between the two? Yeah, pretty close. And then you've got miles and miles and miles of these little dots, which are uh, oil rigs. And so I've never seen like a—I don't think I've ever been to a town that's just in the middle of nowhere, where there's nothing around it. Every when I go places like towns, border each other. I remember spent—I probably spent an hour on Google Earth looking at Midland and Odessa when we started (laughs) hanging out. Like this is
2: crazy. Uh, that's hilarious. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to go into that. I just did a video. (laughs) I just, I just did a video on some stuff. I learned some, some more stuff about Midland, but why they called it Midland and all that. But, uh, Oh, here's a great plug then go check out Joe Kobe's YouTube
1: channel. He's really been putting in the work there. I digressed.
2: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the emotional attachment. So there's two pieces to this, right? There's, there's emotions of your clients and then there's emotions of agents, right? So right now we'll just talk a little bit about the emotions of of your clients. what What do you think gets them most attached to a house or most attached to the process, I guess you could say. And then how do we aid in that? How do we help them or what do we do what do we do to uh, be able to help them in in that part of the process? I think
1: that comes from having a conversation with your client. And knowing what it is they're looking for. And here's where, like, early in my career, I got jammed up a little bit. And I would put myself in some, some spots I probably could have maneuvered had I had all the information. Majority of time when we're working with a, a couple, we have most of our conversation happens with one of the people, you know, either the husband or the wife. One takes charge of that. And so a lot of times we're in sync with the one that we have a majority of the conversation with. And then when we get out looking like we're thinking one way, but then the spouse throws a wrench in how we're thinking because they're looking at it completely different. And so you have to know where you're going. Some some things I've done to overcompensate that is some of the questions that I would ask in person, like if I was in a one-on-one, I wait until we're actually showing a house. And so I have, some talking points that I go through when we're showing houses and then a lot of times couples split up in the showing. I always follow the one I don't have the greatest, you know, the deepest relationship or the greatest relationship with that has helped me. Uh, I'll do zoom to when we're all three can be in there. And then probably one of the biggest pieces that's helped is I group text now. And so I put all the parties in a group text. There's no like, you know, the husband texts the wife and the wife texts me. We're able to have that communication all together. And so as something pops up and, you know, one of the, the person that I might not know, hey, let's look at this house. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, that's only a one car garage. We need a two car. Now, all of a sudden, I'm being able to put a lot more information together as far as what's important to people. So it's really opening up communication and using multiple avenues. Of communication is what really helps me get a handle on what the emotions are. And it's different for every couple, right? I mean, there's only so many and there's a lot of overlap between, but you really have to, this is a personal purchase. And so you need to make it personal.
2: Communication is the key. I would say communication is the key. Being a good communicator can change change a, a lot of things. One thing I'll say is, yeah. One thing we do is we uh, make sure we get at least in our initial meeting everybody is together. So if it's on Zoom or if it's in person, we're getting everybody together. We're making sure. I always slam this this thing home, right? As an agent, your job is to represent your client's best interest. You have to figure out what their interests are, mm-hmm. and so I think a lot of times we work with couples. Sometimes we don't, but if you have a couple, if we're gonna use that that scenario. Actually, I think one person might have like their own individual interest and then the other uh, person will have their own individual interest and then they're going to have interest as a couple as well. Right. And so that's really like the key. I think that there is because now you've got to figure out what's most important to the individuals and then what's important, the most important to them as a couple. And then depending on their relationship, like that can cause a lot of issues. Right. It's like, man, what do you guys actually want and why do you want it and then you can start to figure out man where their relationship really is as well and so honestly you've got to be like almost like a marriage counselor and and yeah. all of that too so you're not just a real estate agent you are a counselor you're a friend you're a confidant you're all of those things right and so that's really the the thing i would say and i would say the group text is absolutely a must if you're not group texting With the people that are buying the buying the property, or who are the decision makers in the property, then you're making a huge mistake. One thing that that comes up a lot here is um, usually we're in the oil field, like we said. So, like a lot of times, the husband will have they'll be out, like they work two weeks on, one week off, or they don't they just don't have time to go see the houses. And so, my number one question that I always ask is is Hey, are you going to have to see this house?" in order for us to make a decision on making an offer on the house. you know, And for some people that answer is yes. And for some people that answer is no. And so if that is the case, then I'm going to try to find a way that we can get both of them at that property at the same time. And so I think those are some of the ways you can kind of like keep those emotions and all of that, because you're going to see some things that are going to come up in the future when you talk to them on that initial consultation, I guess you could say.
1: Like even that's totally different on my market. We very rarely ever have anyone make a decision without both decision makers being there. But I just initially, as you said that, I was thinking, you know, if you've got the the husband who is out in the oil field or he's gone for two weeks, you have a wife that's used to that. And so she's used to running the house. She's used to making decisions that aren't with him. And so that whole dynamic really shifts. And then you have the emotion of, the husband either, you know, depending on their relationship, he either loves being away for two weeks or that wears on him. That changes things on, all right, she's the one home. Like this is how I would handle it. Well, she's the one home all the time. So she just needs to get what she wants. I just need a bed to sleep in when I get home.
2: Yeah, that's most of the most of my clients that I work with. That's usually the case. They uh usually the only thing they care about is the
0: garage. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't want to go down the road of all the couples, though, because there's, there's a huge emotional aspect if you're working with somebody single. And like right now, I uh, what was that NAR stat that it was like 18% of all buyers are single females right now. Uh, and that stat may be off, but it was a pretty significant number as far as the demographic goes. Or you have these, you know, single men purchasing houses. The one thing I always hate is I hate there's two things on the emotional side. One, I don't like showing houses to one person i want them to bring somebody because nobody wants to make a decision without bouncing it off or you know i really like that house but i don't know they need that person next to them to say oh yeah the house is really nice oh you don't want it because of this like that solidifies the emotional side of it for the purchaser and that's what i like and also if i'm working with a single person if i try to find out how involved their parents are going to be because my joke is parents have ruined more real estate deals than lawyers because they get involved in the process late so i really encourage if a parent is going if the parents are going to be like at the inspection especially i want them to come out with this at least once because i want to establish a relationship with them i want to establish that i'm someone they can trust That i'm a professional that i'm knowledgeable And so I want them to be able to lean on my expertise as well. And so I want to establish a relationship with them because it's super emotional. And, you know, it can be an insecure situation buying a house by yourself.
2: Yeah. Initially when you said that, I was thinking, no, like, that's not the case, but I literally just had that happen. I had a guy, he just moved here and he's a first time home buyer. So, you know, not only is he single by himself He's got a really good job, Does a really, he does really well for himself, but uh, he's also a first-time home buyer. So he he doesn't know what's coming next, you know? Even though I tell him and I explain it to him, uh, he just doesn't have the confidence of what, what is coming next. And so I thought he was good to go. Like, this is a really good point that you made. I thought he was good to go. We've talked about everything, what price range he wants to be in, three, two, one, buy down, how we're gonna get like his payment down and everything and then he you just stressed uh, him
1: out. You just threw out eight terms there and just stressed the guy out, right? You know. Yeah, yeah. well, we've been talking,
2: we've been talking about this. He's been educated and everything. So it's not it's mm-hmm. the reason why I'm saying that is because we had already talked about it. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like a thing that I just threw on him. We talked about everything. We went over the numbers. We uh sat down and had a conversation with each other, you know. And he's like uh he's he's a he's an engineer type too. So he had all his spreadsheets out. He knew exact he knows exactly what he wants his payment to be. And so, but this is the point. He's an engineer, but emotion is what makes you make a decision. He told me the house that he wanted. I found him the perfect house. He said, You found me my dream house. <laughs> and it comes those words.
1: <laughs> that was those were his words. Yeah.
2: Like you found me my dream house. He said I don't I didn't think you were going to be able to find me my dream house. Literally exactly what he told me he wanted, I was able to find exactly that. And I think the fact that it happened so quickly is what kind of scared him. Yeah. And uh so now I'm like, okay, well it's time for us to make an offer and we made an offer or we crafted up the offer, right? Because once you see the house, we go back, we look at comps We talk about what offer I think you can get accepted versus what you actually want to pay and all that. So we've talked to the lender. We've talked to the listing agent. We've done everything. We are ready to get this offer sent out and presented. I get it all written up. I send it to him and he doesn't sign it. (laughs) And, uh, you know, on DocuSign, you can see when somebody actually looks at something. So I'm like, okay, he looked at it. And he still hasn't signed it. (laughs) So I send him a text. I'm like, Hey man, I just want to make sure you, you know, you got this, uh, got the offer. He's like, yeah, I got it. Everything's good. But come to find out, which is to the point that, that you just made is that he's got a fraternity brother that is helping him make the decision. And that fraternity brother told him based off the numbers, he could not afford the house. And so I, I should have asked the question, is there someone else that is going to be helping you make the decision on this? But because of how our conversations had gone, because I he was referred to me from a friend. And so I, I kind of have a little bit of background on him and all that. But I didn't ask that question. And because I didn't ask that question, for one, it it's not a waste of time, right? But you know, I wasted his time, I wasted my time. Like I've shown him multiple houses. And now he he hasn't made an offer and now he's waiting a little bit. Right. And so, you know, that that's just a really good point that you bring up of somebody else is helping the person make a decision and you want them you want to know who that is. And if they're not here local, you want to you know make sure that they're involved and know everything as well. And like when it comes
1: to parents or even, you know, anybody is helping you like you want to be able to to have conversations with them because you need to not only come overcome the objections that your client has, you need to you need to handle the concerns that the parent has. Like I, I mean, so when we bought our house, we bought a, and I'm in real estate, right? I flip houses, and you know, we, I grew up as a contractor, like I know. And so we were buying a fixer upper. It was a it was a foreclosure that I was buying from an investor. So basically, I was buying a house from a guy who was hosting. I mean, he bought it, was going to fix it up and rent it out. I had looked at it when it was a foreclosure, but we got in the process late. After he closed, I contacted his agent and said, hey, would he be interested in selling it? And he said, well, he's going to keep it as a rental, but you know, I can check with him. And so we worked out a deal. I wrote him an offer. I let the other agent represent me so we could keep it clean. But the house was a foreclosure, right? And so when we go to the showing, Holly had her mom come to it and the house was hit. It was, you know, the house was hit. Um, needed a kitchen, needed all new flooring, paint. Both bathrooms needed to be done. I mean, it needed everything. And so basically, I'm asking my wife to let's move in a house and let me tear the kitchen out. And so there was that. The other funny story on that was we were looking for houses. Cooper's like 10 or 11. Cooper's one single criteria was, can I play wiffle ball in the backyard? We went and looked at a house that I really liked. And, and I didn't know this at the time. So we're looking at this house. He walks kind of around, goes... And then all of a sudden, he goes to the car. Like, we're at this house looking still. And I go back out to the car. I go, what's up? You want to take a look? No, he goes, this isn't a good one for us. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> one, you don't, you're don't. you not a factor in the decision. Two, uh, what do you mean? Yeah, there's that tree right where the pitcher's mound should be. What? Yeah, there's you can't play house? football in that yard. So then I go, oh. So we go look at this other house that's completely hit. I mean, you walk in. There was a door on the cabinet hanging. The return air grill was knocked off of the floor, like off of the wall, onto the floor. Floors were gross. I mean, the house was bad. He literally walked to the backyard. He looked. He went out there, walked around, came back in the house, and he's like, I like it. what? He goes, yeah, I like it. He goes, yeah. He goes, we can do a couple things. He picked the return air grill up, put it on the wall, and said, "Yeah, yeah, we can put some of this stuff together. This is a good one. (laughs) So he was on board. But the, the thing about the other person that just reminded me of this story, the thing that was funny about this one, and this talks about parents, because like parents are, they're just trying to protect their children usually. And so they're always, they don't want them to make a bad decision. And, you know, when you buy a house, there's certain amounts of risk to it. And so I think parents sometimes are negative because they want to be happy for you if it worked, but they want to be able to tell you, I told you so if it didn't. It just really weird. And so my mother in law like is in the living room. And like I said, this house was hit. Like I'm it was hit. And she's like, the floor in the living room was squeaking. Like when you walk, like the wood, you know, like you know, you know what a floor squeak is. So it's just yeah. squeaking. And so she's standing in the spot, kind of rocking back and forth, and it's going, eh, eh, eh. and I'm like, and she goes, ah, this floor's really squeaky. I'm like, Are you looking around? Like I can fix a squeaky floor with like $2 and screws. Right. I mean, like she just, I mean, would not let that go. And so like, it was to the point I made a joke with Holly that part of the floor that comes out of the basement that squeaks, I'm leaving it because I want that to squeak every time she walks across it now, because she talked about it so much. So there was a lot of emotion in that. And so parents put, you know, or, you know, other people that are helping put pressure on them. And so you have to be able to manage that. And as an agent, as part of what we're trying to manage the transaction, it isn't trying to talk somebody into something that's not good for them or that they don't need, but it's a matter of walking them through the emotional side of it. And when you get somebody on the outside, that's not a part of the process the whole way, and they're just coming in for like moments of it, that adds a lot of stress and emotion to the purchaser or the seller. In those instances, it's mainly the buyer, like what we're
0: talking buyers.
2: Yeah, and then you're you're managing the expectations and motions of to both you know both parties, and usually the person that's helping has bought a house in the past, and they bought their house twenty years ago, and so now they're bringing oh, the baggage of everything. They're bringing you. the baggage of how yeah. bad their last realtor was and yeah. what happened. What well, happened what, in their yeah. transaction twenty years ago, which has absolutely nothing to do with real estate in
1: 2020. Here's, here's what we did: we offered thirty thousand less because we know they're going to negotiate. And, you know, like exactly. I've heard that so many times over the last couple of years. That's just like the worst piece of advice in this market. Exactly.
2: Know? The other piece too, uh, you you look at or that comes up for me a lot is is in negotiations. A lot of times, negotiating the price or whatever else, and so. Uh, buyers get hung up and they let their ego get into it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so let's say you got a house, $550,000. And then, you know, you come in at whatever, 500 and, and 30,000, but yet they come back at 545 and then you say five, you know, your buyer's willing to pay that, but then they say 540 and the seller doesn't negotiate. And they're like, well, I'm not, I'm not accepting that because they they didn't give anything, you know? And so, it's always ego in there. And that's where you have to come in as the agent, as the level head and say, okay, man, this was really big, especially when inventory was tight, right? When there was nothing on the market. And so somebody would say, you mean when the buyer had no leverage, we would literally be $5,000 apart. And it's like, Hey man, you know, you are moving here from out of town. You've come here for the weekend to buy a house, to find a house. You have the house you love. And you're going to let this go over $5,000, which is basically what, maybe $2 a month, a dollar, a dollar a month in your monthly payment. That's really the part that I see where it's like, man, we've really got to be the level head here because now you're going to start this whole process over again, all because of $5,000.
1: Well, here's the crazy thing about that. Like when you're talking about the ego, so let's say you go look at a house that's listed at 550 and, you know, they offer that 530, they come back at 545 and they're, they're, they don't want to come to 545. Like I asked the question, Hey, if that house was 575, would you pay 565 for it? Well, yeah. Okay. Then pay 545. Like, you know I mean? Not, I'm not flipping like that, but it doesn't have anything to do with the price. It has to do with what kind of deal they feel like they're getting. If it's five seventy-five, you pay five fifty-five. You feel like you got twenty thousand off. Well, now you're not happy because you're only getting five thousand off. It has nothing to do yeah. with the amount. It has to do with what they feel they're getting. So
2: feeling. Yeah, it's all about the feeling. It's all about the emotional side of it. We're we're uh, man. It reminds me of of my son Carter. We're starting to like starting to give him opportunities to to earn money, and so he's he had a little bit of cash. He had like almost fifty bucks here the other day. And they go into Hobby Lobby and he is just going nuts because Hobby Lobby, you know what Hobby Lobby is? Yeah, I see yeah. it on my wife's debit card like
1: three times a month. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, so Hobby Lobby, he walks up and it says 70% off and he he is just going crazy. He is yeah. like, what? Seventy percent off, and Andrea's like Carter. That's for the Christmas stuff. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I don't care. It's still a great deal. And he's like, man, everything in there is like forty percent off. And I'm like, well, yeah, man. everything's twice the price it should be. So there's always, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's fifty percent off, but it's twice the price of what it, yeah, exactly yeah. what it should be. And so it, it's it's the same thing. It's the psychological part of it. You, you're exactly right. And so uh just playing with the emotions of like, hey, when we sat down you told me that these are the things that you wanted. If these are the things you want, and this is exactly what we've got here, you're now negotiating. I tell them that they're negotiating against themselves, you know, so know what you want. That's why you have to know what you want before you actually make a purchase. And that's what's actually going to help you get into where you want to be at. Now that now that we're sitting here having this conversation, I'm, I'm actually thinking I'm going to add something to my buyer's consultation about negotiations. If... If you don't feel as though you're getting a good deal, or if you only get five thousand dollars off on a house, are you still going to want to move forward? Or figuring out some way to talk to the yeah. buyer about negotiations before?
1: Well, and a lot of times it's you know our consultations are all meant to pre-frame things that are going to come down the road, and so we want them to know that that might be a problem. It's something we're going to have to address. And once, and this leads right into like the last thing I wanted to talk to you about the whole emotional side is the sellers this goes buyers and sellers it doesn't matter You're just people humans we do not like being in the world of the unknown we've had clients that were you know let's say we have we had we've had buyers that we put in an offer and it's taking too long for them to reply correct in the buyer's mind is taking too long for the seller to reply and so you know what oh we're just going to pull the offer well why would we do that like let's wait to see what they say Well, no, you know, if they don't want to sell it to us, then we're just going to pull the offer because people don't like sitting in that world of the unknown. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go to bed tonight, not knowing if we get the house. I'm all anxious amped up about it. Well, I don't want to go to, I don't want to have to go to bed twice like that. And so people want the process to move quick because nobody likes being in the unknown. Like when we're waiting on a quote for a repair or waiting for a response. And this always comes up in the negotiating time and the negotiations. Because, you know, those are the moments that you don't know. You don't know if your offer is going to get accepted. You don't know if your counteroffer is going to get accepted. You don't know if your request for repairs are going to be accepted. You don't like so. There's all these moments where we're in these windows of unknown time and people do not like that.
2: Yeah, they don't like that at all. And um, the real question, though, is, is then you really find out if the person really wants to buy a house or not if they really want it or not, is really the key point to it. So if if you're willing to back out of something that quickly for that reason, it shows if you really, if that's really what you want. The other part of negotiation is the person that wants to deal more loses. So
1: (laughs) yeah. Well, and, you know, the unknown also on the listing side, you get a house that, and we haven't experienced this in the last you know year or two because you Some know, agents I, have well, <laughs> days on market has been like single digits. So you get somebody who's had their house listed for 30 days, 45 days. Like they start to get, cause now they're in the world of the unknown. Are we going to sell it? Is the house going to sell? Are we going to sell it for what we need to sell it for? You know, there's all these questions and all these unknowns. And so that stress level starts to amp up and then you add on top of it, the house has to be ready to show all the time. And you've got little kids. I've had little kids I have a teenage boy right now. Like, you can work hard to get a house ready for an open house or get ready for a showing. And then the the kid gets home and in 10 minutes, the house is hit, right? I mean, like every toy comes out and it's stressful. So as a, as when you're selling, there's these periods of unknown time that can cause stress. And so as an agent, what we have to do is we have to manage that one. We have to pre-frame that we have to, you know, give the warnings of here's what you can expect. Here's what, you know, I think is going to happen. And, and if you're if you've done your work like on a listing and you know where it needs to be priced, if you're overpricing a listing, you should know you're overpricing a listing and you should have that conversation with your client because that's going to help them manage their emotion through it. And then when you're working with a buyer, you're just walking them through the steps. And I try to give an overview, like during the consultation, here's what you can expect. But as we're going down the road, I want to keep them informed you know, okay, we've cleared inspection, everything is great there. Now the next step is the appraisal. And then once we get through the appraisal, then now it's going to be your bank's going to be hounding you for documents and you're going to get, you're probably going to get a little frustrated with them because you're going to think you've already given them that. And so you're just going to work through that process. So just be ready for that. And so if you can preempt all of that, it brings the emotion way down in a transaction.
2: Yeah. It brings the emotion down and it builds trust. And then it also makes you uh, look like the hero, right? Smartest guy ever. That is exactly right. So having a roadmap for for people and what to what to know, knowing what is coming next is the absolute key. And yeah, especially the stuff about the lender. They're going to be asking you for stuff. I mean, I've yeah, I got a deal right now where the client's basically ready to to not go through <laughs> with things because yeah. the lender's asking them for stuff, and then they started. If doing I've got stuff to give them
1: one more bank statement. Without, then I'm yeah, done. then
2: they started doing stuff without the lender knowing what they were doing, and so they're like well, now I gave it to them, but I'm like, well, you gave it to them, but you didn't give it to them exactly how they wanted it. Mm-hmm. And they have certain guidelines that they have to go by. And so now she feels as though they're just doing it out of spite. And so now we've got emotions Under, going underwriters going through, back and house. forth on both of them. And so you can ruin a deal on, on both sides. So emotions mm-hmm. are the one it, thing you've got to keep quelched. Yeah.
1: As we're kind of getting late into this episode, I want to at least talk a little bit about, and you had mentioned at the beginning, that emotional side when you're working with agents.
2: Because we yeah, have I think really time. the key part is, is, I think we're probably going to have to do another episode, you know, because okay. we definitely went longer on this one than I yeah. thought we were going to be able to go. But man, on the other side of uh, working with agents is... Uh, I mean, I've got some stories where I mean, I could we could be here until next week.
1: Yeah, then we better uh, just hit this one up as a second episode, part two of the emotional roller coaster of real estate. Part deuce. So today we talked about the emotional side of real estate as it pertains to working with our clients, buyers, and sellers. We focused in a lot on buyers because uh, there's a lot of emotion in that, and it and it is a different kind of emotion. But there is a lot of emotion on the seller side, and that's more. Individual to that situation, you know, was it a family house? Was it has it been in the family forever? I raised my kids here, so you have to start working through the emotion with that. And so it was great jumping in, kind of refreshing uh, my memory on a lot of the old stories of working with buyers and how emotional it can be, um, and how important it is as an agent to manage your clients' emotions by giving them the right information before. It becomes an emotional situation, knowing that we're already going to have emotion in the transaction. So if you ever want to talk to us, hit us up on how it is we manage that, or you want to see our buyer consultation, we would love to share that with you. Just go ahead and shoot us a message, a DM, or even put it in the post. You can catch us on our Facebook page at the Epic Agent Success Podcast. And if you jump on there, please follow us. We love it. And then as always, if you love this, we would love a five-star written review where you're listening to the podcast that helps us out, helps the algorithm, and it's going to get us out helping agents. We love you guys. Love that you're taking time to listen to us. And we look forward to hearing from you about how it is you handle the emotion of your clients.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Epic Agent Success Podcast. Make sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you've received value today, we hope you'll give us a five-star rating wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Don't forget, we love sharing our experiences and offering tips to agents looking to grow. So come join us on our Facebook page, the Epic Agent Success Podcast, and stay connected.